Welcome to Teen Wealth Radio, a show just for teens, their parents, and educators to come together and discuss the issues that are affecting our youth today. Your host is Brandy England. Brandy is joined each week by amazing guests, as well as a regular panel of co-hosts who are here to give you ideas and encouragement every step of the way. We also have plenty of other surprises on today's show. So let's get started. Here's your host, Brandy England. Everyone, welcome to Teen Wealth Radio. You've got Rebecca Shalon co-hosting for you today, uh, and Brandy will be joining us later. Uh, hopefully, uh, she did lock herself out of her apartment, so we're waiting for her to get her keys. Um, but in the meantime, we are talking to a very exciting guest today. We have got Lorna McLaren on the show. Hi, Lorna. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Rebecca. Exciting to be here. Yeah, um, and I see that you are a corporate trainer and an international speaker, and that sounds very exciting. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what that is? Oh, it is. I, um, I learned at a young age that I kind of like to travel, and I like learning things. I have my little quote, there's no problem you can't learn yourself out of. So as I started to learn the things that I needed to learn, I found if I started to teach it, I'd learn it faster, and I love speaking in public. It took me a while. Then I thought if I can train and travel at the same time, that'd be great. So I was able to um, get it arranged. I work in um, England. I have worked doing this in England, Ireland, Scotland, Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania, and Canada and the States. And uh, then for the last five years, I've been staying mainly in uh, in the States and Canada. <laughs> I love that quote. So it's you, there's no problem you can't learn your way out of. Yeah, there's no problem you can't learn yourself out of. I heard that from someone, and every time I feel bad or there's a problem, I've been experimenting with, um, you know, how you speak to yourself. And so if you say it that way, it sort of makes it more exciting. Yeah, it kind of does. What's been your favorite thing that you've learned so far? Oh, uh, the power of semantics and words and how they have an impact on the genes that regulate physical and emotional stress and well-being. One word can make you calm, another one can just piss you off in a millisecond. So it's kind of fun learning about how words can have such an impact on how we feel and how we think. So I've been finding that kind of fascinating. That is fascinating. Do you have an example for us at all? Oh, yes. One example I use, because not only do I work in the areas of communication, it's usually especially under pressure and stress. Like when the pressure is high and the moments are brief, what you say in that moment sometimes defines you. And when you're stressed to the max, the last thing you can think of is how to think straight. So um, I learned certain words that a word that may not bother you when you're fine and safe and protected and happy, but a word that might instantly trigger you when you're stressed. So one example is the word why. So there's nothing wrong with the word, but let's say I'm your boss and I say to you, you know, why were you late? You might instantly feel kind of defensive or, you know, why was the report late? And sometimes when we're stressed, we, when we hear the word why it triggers that default, I'm being blamed, I'm being accused and I have to defend myself. Like if someone said to me, Lorna, why did you come here today and why do you wear that outfit? I'd probably feel like saying, well, piss off. What's wrong with my outfit? Why can't I be here? I was just like, whoa. So one example is when you're stressed, if you just swap out how, that for the word how. So, mm-hmm. you know, how did you come here? How did you come to the decision to be here today? Or, or how is it that the report was three days late? Just the word how makes you feel like it triggers the reasoning or the rationale behind it rather than triggering blame, defensiveness, and accusation. So stuff like that. 
That is really interesting because even as you're sort of saying it, like definitely just instantly hearing it, it triggers like a different physical response. Um, How did you come about uh, finding this out and um, what first drew you to that sort of semantic study? Oh, um, part of it was when I learned a little bit about hypnosis and hypnotherapy Mm. and how the brain works through visualization. Uh, I remember reading a while ago that of all of the sensory organs in the human body, your eyesight is the only sensory organ with brain cells in it. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. Yet also when you listen to someone, when they speak, you automatically visualize what they're saying. So I started to play around with that. And so with corporate training, I quite often work with managers and leaders. And if they are uh, focusing on what they don't want to have happen, which a lot of them do, you know, you go through work and they talk to you when you mess up sometimes, and it's not really very motivating. So if I were to say, and I won't let Frank make me cry, I'm sure we're all visualizing me crying and giving control to Frank. But if you just change the words, I'll be calm when I speak with Frank. If you focus on what you want to have happen rather than what you don't want to have happen, not only do you feel less stressed, but you kind of visualize your end goal. So, um, yeah, I remember hearing this quote, worrying is the same as negative goal planning. So if we can kind of change the words we use, it does change how we feel and how we think. Hmm. That's all really interesting. Words definitely do have power. Have you always been um, curious about communication and things like that? Um, what were you like as a, as a child? Uh, as a child, you know, pretty, we're lucky to have a pretty happy upbringing, you know, four kids in the family. And uh, um, my mom was very, um, very strict on manners and diction. And mm-hmm. we'd get in, we would get in trouble for saying something wrong. Now, my mom just died a few months ago, but even now we're, you know, we're quite, we're quite old now, my sister and I, and we're, we were still afraid to say certain words in front of my mom. Like, is it, do I lie down or lay me down or lay myself down? And we were so afraid of getting it wrong. We just wouldn't say it. So we know that our mom was really strict on how to communicate properly and how to enunciate. And so I guess her focus on language was interesting for me. Yet when I started speaking in public and, um, and again, just thinking about how words affect how we think, it just transported me into this fascination of study. Hmm. And what was, what was the first time that you, you had a public speaking engagement? Tell us about that experience. Um, oh gosh. Um, maybe is when I joined Toastmasters. I wanted to get this job where you had to have, um, you had to be comfortable speaking in public and I'd never really spoken in public, although I was an outgoing person, I'd never actually spoken in public. So someone said, well, if you want this job, go to Toastmasters. It's uh, the learning curve is astronomical because it's not mm-hmm. reading a book about it. It's doing it. It's kind of like the difference of hearing a story about childbirth or giving childbirth. So I thought I'm going to learn if I go to Toastmasters. So I had to talk about myself, <laughs> usually a topic you know about. And I probably lasted 46 seconds and I sat down and I was sweating profusely. My heart was racing. I felt like an idiot. And I was amazed at how nervous I was just speaking in front of 17 people. So I was hooked. I I knew I had to keep coming back until I became comfortable with it. So yeah, practice, practice. It's very admirable that, um, you know, that inspired you to get better at something rather than to shy away from it. How did you lean into the fear? Oh, good one. Well, it was the, um, 
I really believe in finding mentors and people that help you learn and get ahead. And I found that environment was really um, supportive. So I tried to go to different ones. And I saw, you know, some of them might be all filled with certain types of like um, certain types of industries. I went to four or five of them until I found one that I kind of liked and felt comfortable in. And so, yeah, every week I'd go and we'd take turns uh, anywhere from counting how many times you say um or ah, uh, recognizing uh, the timing. They would clap you down if you're over time. So it was a great environment to quickly learn. And once I learned how to speak in public, at the same time, I... um. I'd actually gone through this kind of devastating setback financially, and um, I uh, needed to show that I had some experience for this job I really wanted. So I did the Toastmasters, and also I had done, I was doing volunteer ski patrol um, uh, for Big White, where we lived in Kelowna at the time, so my kids and I could ski for free. And once, and then I volunteered to teach first aid with them, and then once they learned that I was doing Toastmasters, they asked me if I would do the promotional commercials for the volunteer ski patrol and I wanted to get more women. And this is a few, excuse me, a few years ago. And so um, I did an interview and we had the, the highest amount of people coming in that year. Um, especially women were trying to get more women in the ski patrol. And so it seemed to work. So yeah, it was, uh, it was great. It's like a skill. You just have to learn it and then mm-hmm. it becomes easy and effortless. So I'm kind of an introvert in my home life, but I'm really comfortable. I can be in front of 4,000 people and be super comfortable speaking in front of all those people. But I would not be as comfortable if I was at an intimate dinner party of eight. So it's kind of weird. Right. No, that makes sense. It definitely makes sense. I have a similar sort of thing. I'm totally fine on a stage, but in an audition room, really hard (laughs) because there's only a few people staring at you. Um, But from what you're saying, um, like you're obviously a very curious person and you satisfy that curiosity and learn a lot and you've dabbled in many different industries. I think you mentioned there were like four industries you just said. How many jobs have you had? Oh, well, what I liked about our parenting was that uh, we had to be kind of self-sufficient. All of us kids were working at a young age. I think that's a good thing because it makes you feel independent. So my first job was a lifeguard at the Bayshore Inn in Vancouver. And back in the day, that was a very nice hotel. And nobody really swam. They just wet themselves between cocktails. And so I was there, you know, as a teenager, lifeguarding in the summertime and taking school, um, you know, night courses and and just um, loving it. And then uh, uh, I had a tragedy that made me want to leave the country. And um, after that, I started, um, you know, I worked as a flight attendant. So there's a lot of traveling there. I just realized I thought travel was something that I loved. But I wasn't learning. I found myself getting addicted to People magazine. So I thought, oh, I can't do this much longer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, lifeguard. I was a waitress for years, which is great for uh, customer service. And... Um, yeah, waitressing was something I did. I lived in France for five years, so I was able to waitress and work there or um, work with tourists. And so that was a job that allowed me to travel and work. I was working, um, I'd ski all day that long, and then I'd, I'd do waitressing in the evenings, and then I'd get a job in Paris or the Côte d'Azur in the summertime, and then go back to Val d'Isere in the wintertime in the Alps. And uh, so waitressing was great for that. And then because I became bilingual at the time uh, when I came back to Canada, they were going officially bilingual with Air Canada. So I got scooped up as a bilingual flight attendant. And there I was going to 
Germany and France and the States and traveling. And I thought, this is great, but I was always working. And so on my time off, the last thing I wanted to do was get on a, tr on a plane. So that just didn't satisfy me after a while. So, and then things change when you have kids, right? Mm -hmm. So and how many kids do you have? I have two. I have two sons, um, Lucas and Kyle. Lucas, you interviewed last week. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, I've even had somebody on the street ask me if I was Lucas's mother because they we kind of look quite a bit the same. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a strong <laughs> resemblance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, not to say that he looks feminine, you know, I maybe not to say I look masculine, but we can tell that we're related. Yeah. Oh, my family's the same. Like there's a very strong family re resemblance. You line us all up and you can just tell. I think we just all have the same nose. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. Like once you, once you see it, like you can, but I mean, they do that in movies and things as well. As, as long as you can pick a couple of features, you can make anyone sort of look related. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My sister keeps saying that she looks more like my other sons than me. And I keep thinking, no, no, he's mine. Stay away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's weird how that works. I actually look almost like a carbon copy of my auntie. Um, but like, I'm obviously my, my mother's daughter. <laughs> it's yeah. very strange. Um, yeah. the genes, the genes are strong, but, um, you've traveled so much. You mentioned that you are a flight attendant and you've been to like all of these different places, but you were working constantly. Um, yeah. when did you, like, how did you draw that line and figure out how to, you know, assert that boundary for a work-life balance and, and figure out what worked for you? My work-life balance? Well, I love doing the training and I love, like, even if I was flying to, I used to spend um, almost every second week in, in, in California. I seemed to be working there a lot or Alaska. It was exciting. I loved it, but I was getting burned out. So, um, but I didn't want to admit that I was being burned out. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a workaholic. So, you know, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So mm -hmm. what helped me with my work-life balance was actually a stroke. So this is oh my, my two-year anniversary. I was flying home from, from, the, from California to Seattle. It was like 11 o'clock at night. I was curled up sleeping on the plane, and I got up, and my leg was kind of dragging. I thought, well, that's weird. But in the bathroom, I could lift my arms and do all those normal things. So I thought, ah, oh, it's just asleep. I'm just tired. You know, I won't worry about it. But then when I woke up the next morning, my right arm and my right leg wasn't working. I couldn't hold anything. And my, I had to lift up my leg to get dressed. And I was just freaking out. So mm. you can see that I'm moving my hand now. But I had, um, I had an 80% block in my carotid artery. And I'm a really healthy person. I'm skier, hiker, you know, <laughs> reasonably healthy. So, um, yeah, I ended up having a, a full recovery and emergency surgery, a beautiful, sexy seven-inch scar down my neck. Hmm. And uh, that's what helped me. Um, it took a stroke for me to recognize life balance, yes. Yeah. Because we don't realize how stressed we are. Um, so, yeah. That, so that must have been very scary. Like <laughs> Really scary. My God. It's really scary to lose your the, the use of your arm and leg for a while. It was really scary. And um, to survive a stroke was pretty cool because not everyone does. So, um, I, I was more, uh, messed up with my survivor guilt emotionally from the experience, um, made me think I got to do something special now, because if I don't do what I want to do with my life, then I deserve to be struck down by lightning. So by being given a second chance, I'm kind of more motivated to do some more. So, so did yeah. that prompt a, a career change? What, 
what did you what job did you go from before to to the next one well it it prompted me to slow down on the travel a little bit right and start to enjoy just living in beautiful Vancouver but then the pandemic really changed it as well because now Mm -hmm. you know I, I physically couldn't work so uh, instead of traveling, I'm doing um, webinars for mm-hmm. over a year. So I still get most of the people are from the States. Um, but um, I can't wait to get out there and travel again. I really miss it. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. I would really like to visit my family. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, How far away is your family? In Australia. Um, and I'm in Vancouver, uh, where you are as well. Um but yeah, you you said you do webinars. Um, is it sort of like the same webinar over and over, or is it like a bunch of different ones? Tell us a little bit about what you do with that. Most of the webinars are on communication, like how to how to reduce conflict, how to lead, how to delegate, how to say what you mean without being mean, and how you say it, and how to have those challenging conversations that most people like to avoid. And I think all of us including me, have experienced working with someone who's toxic. Mm-hmm. And a toxic person will suck the happiness out of everybody at work. And there's so many people who don't know how to talk to challenging and difficult people. So mm-hmm. another quote I love is silence is acceptance. If you say nothing, it's, it's like saying, bring it on. I'm okay with that. So um, most of us don't feel like communicating through challenging, stressful times. So mm-hmm. I took it on as a mission of learning how to handle those uncomfortable conversations because as a teenager, if sometimes, um, you know, it's hard when you're a teenager, you feel shamed or you feel guilty. You think, am I the only one who feels or thinks this way? So anyways, I think I'm getting off point now, but. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. I think as well, um, the the added difficulty in learning to communicate as a teenager is the power dynamic as well because quite often you're told it's not your place to object with something but if something's really not sitting well with you you should have the freedom to express yourself um do you have any sort of advice or webinars along those sort of lines um for I mean for teenagers did you say mm-hmm. not at this time no most of the work I do is for um for adults um, at this time. I like to do volunteer things with teens though, but I have not put together any specific courses for teens. Mm-hmm. Well, from the adult um, perspective, if you were a teacher or a parent and you're having difficulty, you know, gently uh, telling your, your, the teenager in question, how, how would you sort of like guide them to that? Well, Well, uh, I think we're going to have a commercial break in a second, though, so I might lose my track if I get cut off in 20 seconds or 30 seconds. So how about if I we, ask that more? We are going to a commercial break. <laughs> so that, that's my job. <laughs> that's fine. Um, we can go to a commercial break now, if you like, and have a think about that question. And when we come back, we'll be talking more with Lona McLaren. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hey you. Yeah you. Are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? 
All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. You've got Rebecca Shalon in for Brandy, and we are chatting with Lorna McLaren. Uh, and just before the break, we were talking about uh, the importance of communication because uh, Lorna does these amazing webinars, uh, mainly for adults. But we we're talking about the um, relation of power dynamics when it comes to communication. So not, not only is it important to, you know, choose your words wisely and, and those semantics that we were talking about earlier, but it's also a tricky thing to like navigate those power dynamics. How do you do that? Um, from the perspective of someone who's in charge of the situation and also from the perspective of someone who is not. Lots of lots of things to answer there. <laughs> yes, lots of things. Uh, for example, when you're like a teenager and you're not always in that power position, um, although I felt I was clear, I felt comfortable communicating. We had, um, our grandmother was really difficult um, and she was very mean and she would um, be very rude. And anytime I tried to stand up for myself or stand up for the person I was trying to protect, she would be, um, you know, just tell me I was an idiot and to be quiet and to respect her. Um, so I had to kind of overcome uh, some issues with her. Yet when it comes with my, um, yeah, if you don't have a power position, I, there's a quote that I use, um, a Lorna quote, People rarely, or people rarely argue with their own information. Mm -hmm. So I found that if I didn't feel like I was in a power position or if I was speaking with someone who thought they were a know-it-all or they were in control and they weren't going to listen or they could do no wrong or they've always done things this way. Um, and if I realized I wouldn't have the power to really break into changing their ideas, I would try to throw the question back to them. I'd give them a, here's a factual scenario. Here's a, here's an impact. What would you think? Or if this happened, what would you do? So I found if I turned it around to get them to say it, it would sometimes mm. help. Mm. But um, 
I like that. Let's put this into a real world scenario. So let's say um, a parent and a child are disagreeing on the career path that the child should follow. Um, what would be your advice there and, and how would you use like what you just said to, to navigate that conversation? So are you thinking that the, the child has a certain idea of a career path and the parent doesn't want them to do this? Mm-hmm. They have a different idea of what they should do. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I even had this with my son, Lucas, for a while um, uh, with him and his uh, education. But yeah, so um, that's the thing. Parents, I think, really try to do the right thing in most cases. And they think that going to school, I'm not saying going to school isn't. Yet a lot of people get started going to school quite early and they decide, well, it's not really what I do want to do. I'm not really sure if that is what I want to do. And so many of us feel that we have to do what our parents want us to do. So um, I one thing I would recommend is you can't negate facts. Uh, feelings are not wrong, but if you stay with facts, you can always agree with facts. So that might be one of the strongest things for negotiating when you're not in a power position is to bring up facts. So if, you, if there's a certain career that you want to do and your parents don't think is good for you, uh, come up with the facts. What, who's doing it currently? How did they get there? What's the worst case scenario? Or the One thing I use, and I use it with kids, and I learned this um, as a, I, I use this with teenagers, is from this gentleman by the name of Dr. Edward DeBono. And mm-hmm. he was known as being um, a world expert on teaching people how to think more effectively. And his whole idea is the questions you ask gets your brain thinking in different ways. And so you always have to ask different questions to get different results. And so no matter what age, a great way to get solid facts or to get all the information you need to negotiate, because whoever has the most information always wins in negotiation, Mm -hmm. is asking certain questions. If I can kind of reference uh, the six thinking hats, it's a great tool. So if you have to negotiate with your parents, you really, really want something to be a certain way, here's the things to think about. One would be uh, grab, prepare in advance, because I say most of your, your success is in your preparation. Think in advance on what do you know for sure? What are the facts? Always know your facts and then recognize what you don't, what information you don't have, because it's good to know what you don't have. So when they come up with that, you're prepared. So once you have all the facts in a place, that's great. And then um, intentionally look at, what are the bad things? What could go wrong? And, um, and things you can substantiate, like what could be bad about it? And list as many as you can so that you are prepared to negotiate no matter what they say. So you've thought about it in advance. Another thing is the good side. You know, what's the positive side? Because most humans, we're all motivated by two basic things. Either we go towards what gives us pleasure or we avoid what gives us pain. And most of us Mm -hmm. are avoiding pain, right? We're wired to worry. But if you intentionally look about what's good about this, that's also a huge motivator. So get a whole list of all the positives on this career goal that you want. Yet one method of thinking that most people don't think about, and it's the most powerful of all, is how people feel. So I quite often teach people this rule of three. Number one is perception, how we perceive, how you communicate to us determines number two, which is our feelings. And how we feel determines our actions. So your feelings will determine your actions. So if you can kind of prepare in advance how you feel or how your parents feel, I mean, if they're scared, if they're nervous, if they're afraid, if they're um, whatever their feelings are, if you know what that problem is, then you can prepare to diffuse it. So Mm. how people feel is something that we're not always thinking about. But 
And then, of course, um, looking at the creative side, what could you innovate or what could be a new idea as a result of this? So you've thought of uh, five different um, questions so that you can prepare for any negotiation with your parents. And again, the more information you have, <laughs> the easier it is. It's like playing chess. It's like forethought. If you play chess, you think, if I put my bishop here, what might they do? You got to think about that with your parents. Be prepared if, with what you're going to say. And it will be stressful. So remember to breathe because almost all of us breathe shallow when we're stressed. And most of us don't realize that we're breathing shallow when we're stressed. Okay, mm. couple of deep breaths of air. And also, if you're talking about something that's really emotional, if you think, you know, I, I got my heart on my sleeves, and I'm going to cry. Also, where your eyes look can help you feel better. For example, if you're feeling a little bit nervous and emotional as you speak to your parents, and if you think that your eyes are going to feel like they're going to burn, you're going to cry, but you don't want to cry, then the tip is to not look down. So even if you do that now, if you look down, Rebecca, just by having your eyes cast down, you're more connected to your emotions and your feelings. Hmm. So if you're feeling upset and your eyes are burning, the moment you look down, the floodgates go and now you're screwed. You're going to start to cry. You won't be able to stop. Yeah. But if you just look up now, if you look up to the sky, if you just look up, you're into thinking person's mode. Or if we put someone in hypnosis before their eyes close, we always say, look up and then close your eyes. It's kind of like when you look up to one side, you might be activating left brain thinking, you know, what's the logic or if you're looking up to the other side, you might be activating the right brain thinking, creativity. What are you making up? So sometimes even where you're looking can make your eyes, your, your brain think differently. So again, if you're emotional, don't look down because then it's just going to maybe come out more. <laughs> that is so fascinating. I'm definitely going to be using that one. I'm a very emotional, heart-centered person. So I'll be trying to look up to, to keep it to keep it together um it's very interesting um what you say is that yeah we don't often consider um what people are saying from a place of like how they're feeling because you're just reacting to the words instead of you know like where it's coming from Mm -hmm. uh what do you think is the the hardest emotion to diffuse which is the hardest emotion to diffuse Mm -hmm. well that's a really good question I have never really thought about which is the hardest to diffuse. Um, I'm trying to think maybe absolute panic would be. (laughs) You know, I just, my brain was kind of, um, you know, we ADD people, we've got, our brains are like chihuahuas on steroids. I was just thinking about something you said earlier, whereas um, sometimes the biggest power is not trying to sell something or tell something, but to ask them. Mm -hmm. So rather than even asking your parents, like, what are your concerns with me doing this? Or what is your biggest fear in me doing this? Or, or what do you think could be the worst thing? So sometimes there's more power in you asking the questions mm-hmm. to get the information you need. And then you can start to make more informed decisions. 100%. Anytime you, gotta, you know you're fearful. Mm, you got to do the whole, you know, seek to understand, not be understood like it. And it yeah. creates that sort of collaborative environment when you are asking questions. That's a very good tip because often, you know, especially when you're younger, I, I definitely had uh, a lot of these conversations with my parents because education is super, super important to them. And I'm an actress. So I was going through the creative path and I, I wanted to do all of the, you know, the fun things where I was on stage and all that. And my parents 
really wanted me to have stability. And that's where that came from. It was, as what you're saying, it comes from a fear of me not having a stable life. And once I saw it through that lens, rather than they're trying to prevent me from doing something, the conversation was less defensive and more, well, you know, like if you're scared about this, this is actually how this works. And, you know, does that make you feel better? And it it let them know that their opinion was valid to me and that I was hearing them as well. Yeah, well, I love that because almost all of us, they say um, the best way to honor someone is to listen to them. And anytime we feel that we're heard, like if I, even by saying, you know, thanks for saying that, even acknowledging what someone said, they will now feel more listened to. So that's a great tip with your parents. Say something to let them know that you acknowledge what they said, mm-hmm. because a lot of people assume that you don't listen. But when I'm still thinking about um, how to get rid of certain I'm a big fan of acronyms. And sometimes if I feel like I might be spiraling down a panic or a fearful state or getting really stressed, I try to think of a way to get my brain thinking differently. And so I kind of play around. One is the fear acronym. And you might have heard of some of these. Anytime you feel a sense of fear, it's like, (gasps) it feels overwhelming. But the moment it becomes specific, you can get a sense of control. Mm. So one of the fear acronyms could be a fail early and responsibly. So the sooner you overcome a misunderstanding with your parents, the better. If you have a misunderstanding, you ignore it and say nothing, then it becomes, it gets to grow. Then it becomes like a big monster and it's, it's just difficult. So another fear acronym I like is um, face everything and recover. Because most of us don't realize we're so afraid of what might happen, but we sometimes forget we've recovered a lot. We've recovered over a lot of stuff already in our lives. Like we go through a lot of crap. And we can survive somehow, some way. Um, uh, then another one would be um, uh, false expectations appearing real. So that would be like, are we on the same page? My, maybe my parents don't have the information. I don't have this. Let's make sure we're on the same page. And then my last acronym for fear is F everything and run. <laughs> when you realize it's just too overwhelming, sometimes if the conversation is too challenging, you got to let go of it because mm-hmm. if you're too stressed, you're not going to be able to think straight. You're going to say something you can't take back. So I'm a big fan of, um, mm-hmm. if it starts to get out of control, uh, try to, I call it stop and stall. Uh, try to protect you and your parent or the power person from doing or saying something they can't take back. So um, even training yourself to speak in a calm way, because sometimes our emotions come out in our voices. And so many times we react to the voice without listening to the message. So if I were to say, um, Rebecca, you're late, you're going to hear, wow, Lorna's out of control. Or if I say, Rebecca, you're always late, you're thinking that I'm emotional, but you're not thinking about the problem. Mm -hmm. So a big thing is with um, speaking with uh, people in power is to try to get a sense of control, even of your tone of voice. Right. Kind of like the same tone as you're saying, what time is it? Or how do I get to the train station? Or when's Mm -hmm. your flight? So that can make you feel more of a sense of control when you're speaking with your parents too. Just sounding calm makes them feel more calm. Yeah. Communication is such an important part. And I think, um, you know, we kind of get closer to our parents as we get older just because we do learn how to communicate better and we learn how the other people like to receive their information as well because you can be communicating as much as you want in a way that you think is appropriate. But if they're not, they don't hear that type of communication, you're, you're both going to get nowhere. 
But yeah, oh, it's really God. fascinating. I love that you said that. I love that you said that. You know, it's something that almost all of us do without thinking about it. We almost always think, uh, treat people the way we want to be treated. Yet that's not what you got to do um, because we're so motivated by different things. So, um, so like somebody like um, the ADD person is not going to want to read a report of 17 bullet points. You might do two or three, and then you're doing something else, right? So exactly. Once, um, I think it's great to recognize people's personality and communication styles, and mm-hmm. then you know what motivates them. Because there are certain personality styles, if you tell them that the idea or the product or service is good for them, that's a trigger where they don't want it anymore because that'll cause them stress because they're all wired for harmony and equality. Whereas different people, if you say it's good for you or good for me, they're fine with it. But certain personality styles, the same thing is going to have a whole different um, impact. So yeah, understanding what motivates people helps mm-hmm. as well. But you don't always know this stuff when you're a teenager, right? Yeah, totally. I think that's a very important conversation to have, whether they, you think that there is a presence of conflict or not. Like, no matter what, every single person listening right now should have a conversation with the people closest to them about how they like to be communicated to and how they prefer to communicate to others. And you may find that there, it, it takes care of a lot of your discourse because if you're communicating differently, um, then that you actually might not have conflict. You might just not be understanding each other, but you could be on the same page. Exactly. It's so funny. I just thought of a book that popped into my head. Uh, When I had kids, I thought, well, you know, I got to learn how to raise kids. I mean, sure, I've had experience being a baby, but that doesn't mean I know how to raise them. So I remember this one book called, um, you know, when they get older and they're talking, the book was called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. I thought, this is brilliant. I've been doing it wrong. I do it like everyone thinks they should do it, but this is brilliant. And so I actually use that book when I teach adults as well, because the same principles apply. So um, yeah, some some great resources out there on how to communicate more effectively with people. It's not easy. I love that. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about mentors and resources that you've used. Uh, But yeah, we'll be right back after this short break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? 
If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Lorna McLaren, and you've got Rebecca Shalon co-hosting with you. We have had some fascinating conversations about communication and how it is more than just um, how you're saying something. It's what you're saying. It's it's what your body looks like. It's where you're looking to, to draw the emotion from and things like that. It's been really fascinating stuff. Um, and Lorna was just about to tell us um, about some books that and resources that she has access to. And I'd love to know who your mentors are, Lorna. Oh, so many mentors. Thanks for asking. Um, again, I, is, uh, I think that Finding mentors in your life is really, really important because, again, if there's something calling to you, find support because we're designed to not be successful without the help of other people. And we got to connect with other people. And when there's diversity, it's, it's a good thing to be with diverse types of people. And they've actually, they kind of make it so that in our romantic lives, opposites attract. You know, it's like the extrovert marries the introvert. Now you're whole. So, you know, we're, we're thrown with so many diverse types of people in the first place, but it's really great for us to learn from. So remember, the wheel of life isn't there to grind you down. The wheel of life is there to sharpen you up. Mm. And like, I might be a great skier, but I have lots of broken bones and accidents that made me good at it. So being able to pick yourself up and, and try again is really important. So mentors, I used to do something, I called it bibliotherapy, which is, um, I couldn't afford therapy, but I used to read all these books to try to understand, you know, why I didn't feel right, or I didn't feel I got the respect I needed or the love I needed, or I wasn't supported, or I kept thinking, what's wrong with me? So lots of books I like. Of course, there's classics like uh, Think and Grow Rich is a wonderful resource. Uh, You can't go wrong with that. Um, I liked um, uh, other resources could be, um, there's one that I read a while ago on relationships is called, um, uh, you know, actually I can't remember the name of that book. I better change what I'm saying now. <sighs> okay. I read <laughs> poor dad. I remember reading rich, bad, poor dad. And I tried to get my kids to read it because I was, um, I was in my, I was in my um, late twenties when I read that book and it made me think differently. And that made me think about being an entrepreneur rather than being an employee. So I thought that was a really good book. And from what I learned from that book, it made me think about um, um, how to be more successful financially in a way that I hadn't thought of before. So it is nice to know how to handle your finances. 
Uh, Definitely. Uh, Finances are important to get ahead of from a very young age. <laughs> yeah. So, if you um, can. <laughs> yeah, if you can um, mm-hmm. for that. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I even like for business, uh, old school people, I remember reading Brian Tracy books. I mean, he's an old school guy, like psychology of achievement, psychology of success. Yet, if you find somebody who you love to learn from and who teaches you a lot, you know, get all their resources. Get If you find someone that clicks with you, if you find something that's interesting to you and then find out who can teach you more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up writing a book because I had so many people say that um, when it comes to training and development, I love learning, but I don't like boring trainers. And sometimes I get really boring trainers who lecture to me. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end, I don't really change because... Um, it's really hard to change unless you're really motivated, kind of like crossing your arms the opposite way. It feels wrong. You know, it's really hard to do. So I thought what might be helpful for learning is just to have just quick quotes and acronyms. Cause most of us can remember those things like, um, like um, a big one that I have is uh, I have a little book called before it hits the fan and it's not a front to back read. It's just quick tips on what to do and say to get control and little acronyms to help remind you of what to do and say. So, for example, one chapter is called Smart to Know When You're Stupid. And that just lists off when you will most likely not be able to think clearly. And that's when you need to avoid conflict conversations. Um, Or I'm starting to now be more excited about working with women. I mean, I like working with men. They're great, men and women. Yet women, I think um, we need to have more confidence in having a voice. And sometimes when a woman's assertive, when a man's assertive, he's called successful. When a woman's assertive, she's called a bitch. Mm. And even today, I quite often meet women who say, you know, I don't want to be assertive. I don't want to be called a bitch. And, and I think that's a way of squashing us. So um, yeah. a way of thinking like a bitch is a dog, which is humankind's most loyal and faithful companion. If they're dyslexic, they'll be calling you God. But if you think of the word bitch and turn it around as empowering you to want to speak. So a couple of acronyms from bitch could be best individual the company's hired. Mm. Oh, that's not so bad. Or here's another one could be boys I'm taking charge here. It's like, oh, you know, now I can be a bit of a bitch or being inspired to change habits. So sometimes um, uh, the thing is, if a book can change how you think and feel, if a book can kind of reshuffle your whole life and you think, oh, my God, I'm different now. And that's, those are the sort of books that I love. So other Mm -hmm. mentors, another one recently was Amy Cuddy. I watched her on a Ted talk. Uh, It's a few years old. She did it. Yeah. She talks about body positioning and power poses and it just blew me away. So just by watching her, it's not on don't cross your arms because people think that you don't like them, but she shows you how you can put your body in a certain position to either increase confidence or instantly reduce stress. And um, I've done this sometimes um, with certain people, just knowing how to change my body position. You can almost see and feel the other person de-stressing as a result. So I thought, that's interesting to get a sense of control on yourself and the other person just by changing how you stand or or where you look. I thought that was fascinating. That is really interesting. You have a huge, huge uh, breadth of, um, is it breadth of knowledge, depth of knowledge? You know what I'm saying. (laughs) Um, so where, where can people follow you? Because you would be a wonderful mentor too. Like how can they, uh, attend your webinars and, and see what you're up to? Well, I'm actually, um, I'm actually doing, um, uh, I am in the process of putting together some courses that will be available in a couple of months. 
So that's a better time to check back with me. Yet, if you go to my website, you could go to LornaMcLaren.com or my business is masterthemomentcommunication.com, and I give away free digital versions of my book. So if you're young and you just want something free to get started with, you can grab a little free version, and it talks a little bit about what words to avoid, which what kind of a tone of voice might be beneficial, um, and again, the stop and stall, because anytime we are stressed, we will be temporarily compromised from our ability to think rationally and reasonably under stress. And a lot of us don't know that. Mm-hmm. It's like a legal document becomes null and void if signed under stress or duress. So by understanding when you're really feeling stressed, you're most likely going to say something you can't take back and make it right. work. So I think in any stressful conversation, uh, this little tip, stop and stall. So you will address it, but not when you're not prepared to address it. So you want to just protect you or the other person from saying something they can't take back and just take a deep breath and in a nice polite tone Mm. saying, I appreciate how important it is to discuss this. Can we please take a break? I need some time to think about it or look at a contract or, you know, or have a break or have a rest and let's reconvene tomorrow. So Mm -hmm. it's a great escape because so often we say what we didn't mean and then we, I don't know about you, but I loathe myself at the end. I have that bad self-talk of what an idiot, how could I have done that? And I teach people self-esteem and I got to worry about my own self-talk. So some little things like a, a great tip is stop and stall. So no matter what, if you're too tired or you're, you're stressed or you don't have any support and you're feeling emotional, it's best to just take a break and reconvene later. And a great way to reduce stress is music. And so for that, I'm going to put a song to my stop and stall. So I don't know if you guys are younger, if you've ever heard of Motown or Diana Ross and the Supremes, that classic, I'm going to take her song and steal the tune and change the words. And here we go. Stop in the name of stress before you cause duress. Think it over. That is so cute. (laughs) I do love that. But no matter how smart we all, all of us are stupid when stressed. So it's really important to know that all of us are. So And tired as well. If you're hard, tired. Yeah. Actually, yeah. sleep deprivation will kill you faster than starvation. Yep. I think yeah. it takes about like three or four days with no sleep before you pass away. But like no water, you can go like 10 days. Yeah. And yeah, same with food. So sleep is very, very important. <laughs> The quickest route to insanity is sleep deprivation, as a matter of fact. And when we're stressed, it always compromises our ability mm. to sleep, like intermittent sleeping or grinding your teeth. Once you start to grind and clench your teeth, it's really hard to ever get out of that one. But yeah, you're right. Sleep is uh, sleep deprivation, is, it'll drive you batty. Oh, I know it well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little crazy. <laughs> Um, well, it's really cool that you've written a book um, and to have these webinars and everything. These are all really great achievements. Looking back on um, everything that you've done so far, what is your greatest achievement? I think raising my sons. I know it sounds hokey. I love that. I mean, I'm just so proud of them and I learned so much from them. And, um, you know, I um, I think I took the best of my mom and and put that in place. And then the worst of my mom, I made sure that we didn't do with that with the boys. So, um, yeah, I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of them. And sometimes, uh, if they have girlfriends at the time, quite often on Valentine's day, the girlfriends 
write me to say how happy they are at how well they were raised. So. Mm. That's awesome. So, that's a, that's a know, huge compliment. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. My boys give me so much energy and yeah, pleasure. And uh, yeah, yeah. That's my greatest achievement is that. And when you were younger, did you ever think that this is what you would be doing? Oh, absolutely not. Um, I didn't know what to do. And it was because of low self-esteem. I was at a party just a couple of years after high school. And I was in a neighborhood where people, um, everyone was saying, everyone knew what they were doing. Everyone was saying, oh, what are you doing? I'm going to university. Or what are you doing? I've got a great job. Or dad is getting me involved in this. And I was too embarrassed. And I just turned 20 and I was too embarrassed to say, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't have a purpose because I was so depressed because we'd had a a suicide of my brother plus my dad had a heart attack within two years and I just kind of got messed up and I just didn't know what to do. I started putting on weight and I didn't know what to do. And at this party, I just felt so insecure. I couldn't be honest and say, I don't know. So I thought of what I love to do and I've always loved to ski. So I said, oh, I'm going to work in a ski resort. And someone says, oh, where? Like in France or something? I thought, yeah, like France or something. Because I was too insecure to say, I don't know, I don't know what to do with my life. I was just so embarrassed and humiliated. And, you know, it's hard being a teenager. So next thing I know, my friend who's having the party comes over and she says, Carol, Carol says, Lorna, you know, everyone says you're going to France to work in a ski resort. Uh, what's, what's with that? And I said, well, I didn't know what to say when they asked what I was doing. And mm-hmm. she says, well, everyone thinks you're going to France. What are you going to do? And I said, well, I think I'll go. So what I mean by that is sometimes follow your intuition or follow that voice because I was in a position where I thought I I couldn't really change how I felt Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do. And I thought I love to ski. So I ended up getting on an airplane a few months later and I actually went to France. I had a ticket open for a year, but I spent uh, four and a half years there. Mm -hmm. I skied my heart out, learned another language, um, learned some more skills, felt a love for travel, gave me so much confidence. And when you're young, it's kind of easy to meet people. So um, it was a scary thing to do, but um, I did it. So you um, did do it. You did. And look at where you are now. Like it's, you're incredible and you've achieved so much. And then we are about to close out the show. So I want to know if you had 60 seconds where everyone just had to stop and listen to some advice that you had to give what is the one thing that you want people to take away? Just do your best and flush the rest. Seriously. That's hilarious. I love yeah, that. It's a process of elimination. <laughs> Think about it, but don't, don't worry about it because most people aren't thinking about you as much as you do. You know, just let it go. Let it go. You know, mm. just let it go. I <laughs> love that. Flush the rest. Do your flush best to flush rest. the rest. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. It Wise has words. been such a pleasure talking to you, Lorna. Thank you so much for joining us. And my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to Lucas if you're listening to for letting us have your mom on. Uh, but we will be back same time, same place next week, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Global Teen Wealth Radio. Thank you again, Lorna. It was lovely chatting to you. I'm Rebecca, and we will see you all next week. Thanks, Rebecca. Bye, everyone. for being part of Teen Wealth Radio. Please join your host, Brandy England, her guests, and panel of experts again next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you here for the next show. Bye.